The reading this morning is uh, John chapter 7 from verse 25 to the end of the chapter. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, Isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly and they are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Christ? But we know where this man is from. When the Christ comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him, because I am from him, and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his time had not yet come. Still, many in the crowd put their faith in him. They said, When the Christ comes, will he do more miraculous signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I am with you for only a short time, and then I go to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come? On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing these words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Christ. Still others asked, How can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say that Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Finally, the temple guards went back to their chief priests and Pharisees, who asked them, Why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards declared. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted. Has any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier, and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he is doing? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it, and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Well, I was uh, poking around on the internet this week, and I came across this product, this advertisement, okay? It's the Bible versus Instagram pack, okay? It's a collection of verses that are Instagram ready for you to post, which according to them will really make your brand pop, okay? Now, you know, I was having a look at uh, these verses. Oh, some of them dropped off the cousin. Anyway, so we've got love never gives up. That's not too bad. Blessed are the peacemakers, uh, for they shall be called sons of God. Solid verses, all right? You, you might have memorized some of these yourself. You might have confessed them in times of trouble, but I wonder, when you just, you know, come across verses like this, nicely packaged and prettied up and all that sort of stuff, as you read them, do you first think, there's Jesus? Or where is Jesus in this? Or how is this connected to Jesus? Because it turns out that the way that we read the Bible really matters. 
Right? Seeing Jesus in the scriptures, understanding that it's through faith in Christ that we read the scriptures, is the difference between reading like Philippians 4.13, where it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and imagining that that's God encouraging you to really go and get that Maserati, or understanding that I can do all things through Christ in, who strengthens me means that even in suffering and in lack and in pain and in loss, I can be content in Christ. And so we're going to see today a few different people that quote the scriptures in discussing Jesus, but miss the point of these scriptures because they're not reading them with faith in Christ. And so we're going to think a little bit about what that means for us and how we read the Bible. So where we've been so far is, we've been looking at the Gospel of John, we've followed Jesus down from the north of Judea where he's been hanging out. Uh, he's been up there for fear that the religious leaders want to kill him. Okay, a, a fear that it turns out is entirely justified. But he's come down to this Feast of the Tabernacles, this harvest festival, in order to teach people and proclaim the gospel despite the threat that exists on his life. And, and he's just said to them, after the crowds had all sorts of different responses, stop judging based on appearances alone, but judge correctly. And so the question is, well, how are the people going to respond to this? So it says, At that point, some of the people in Jerusalem began to ask, Isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Here he is, speaking publicly, and they're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man comes from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. So these are local people, we could call them Jerusalemites, okay, they're people that live here in the city. They know that the religious leaders have been wanting to kill Jesus, but they're confused because it's like, hold on, they're trying to kill this guy and yet now they're letting him preach openly, like have they changed their minds? Do the religious leaders now think that Jesus actually is the guy? But if that's the case, how can that be? Because doesn't the scriptures say that we won't know where the Messiah will come from, and that, that's true, that's what it, it puts forward uh, in the Old Testament in a couple of different places, this idea that no one's going to know where he comes from. And so they're, they're confused by the situation, and, and it's, it's not the first time that we've seen this actually, because uh, in John chapter 6, we saw some of the people who were following Jesus there after he'd fed everyone with the loaves and the fishes, uh, they say, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know how can he now say, I come down from heaven? These people question Jesus' earthly origins as well against his claims to be the Messiah. Right? So Jesus is saying, I'm the one sent from God. He's doing these miracles. He's pointing towards these things so that people understand, I'm the Messiah. But people keep on saying, well, how does this work? Because uh, you come from these earthly origins that we know about. And also, it doesn't seem to totally match up with what we understand the scriptures to be saying. Now, in John chapter 6, Jesus sort of ignored that question at the time because it wasn't really being asked in good faith. But this time around, Jesus hears truth in some of their thoughts and decides to teach on it. So it says, Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. Okay, So you do know something about me, you're right. But I'm not here in my own authority that he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him, because I am from him and he sent me. Yes, you do know my earthly origins, but you don't know the one 
who has sent me here. You don't understand the full picture. So while you know something of where I'm coming from, you don't know the one who sent me. You also don't know where I'm coming from. Now, to be fair, this would have been a fairly offensive thing to say here. I mean, he's literally saying, the one who sent me, you don't know him. He's saying to a bunch of people in Jerusalem, the holy city of David, in the temple courts, to these very religious people, that I've been sent from God, but you don't know him. That's, that's a tough thing to hear. And they respond, okay, with this attempt to seize him. But no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. We're not told why they're not able to lay a hold of him, whether it's because, you know, some people are protecting him or does Jesus do parkour in the temple? I don't know. I mean, it's possible. Alright? But either way, they're not able to lay hold of him. But it's not the full story, because not everybody responds with this you know, direct attempt to, to lay hold of him and seize him and grab him and that sort of thing. Some people are like, hold on, what's, what's going on here? Because they think, well, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? So some are offended, but some are thinking, Jesus is doing some pretty amazing stuff. Will, when, the, when the Messiah comes, is he going to do more than what we've already seen this guy do? Healing people, turning water into wine, feeding 5,000 people with just a few loaves of bread and fish? What, what more do we expect of the Messiah? And so there's confusion about who he is. The Pharisees, though, the religious leaders, they've had enough. So as the Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him, then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent the temple guards, pictured here, to arrest him. Amazing outfits, those temple guards. Just That guy looks really good, but that would not be an easy look to pull off. I'm not sure if all of us could do that quite as well as what he's, he's, he's doing there. Now, interestingly, these temple guards, they didn't work for the Pharisees or for the chief priests, technically speaking. They would have needed to be persuaded to actually go ahead and do this. And so the, the temple guards are going to go off, uh, and they're going to seek to arrest Jesus. Meanwhile, uh, Jesus keeps teaching. Jesus said, I'm with you for only a short time, and then I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. Now, to be fair, I think we can see here, Jesus is being a little bit cryptic, right? But that kind of fits with the trajectory that his teaching has been on of late. He started off very, very clearly I'm the one sent from God. I'm the one that God has appointed judge of all. I'm the one you need to believe in for eternal life. And he's still going to be saying that. But at the same time, we've been seeing that as people aren't responding to him in faith, he's been getting a little bit more cryptic in some of the things that he says. Now, if you have ears to hear, if you have eyes to see, if hearts to understand, hearts full of faith, you can still track with him. But if you're not believing, this is starting to get confusing. Now, we know here that when he talks about where I go, you cannot come, from our perspective here on the other side of the cross, he's talking about his death, his resurrection, and his ascension up into heaven. He's going to be where his father is, and he's saying to these people, you can't follow me there yourselves. But for them at the time, this was a confusing idea. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, you will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? 
in Jesus' time, there was what was called the Jewish diaspora, okay, where basically people had spread out all over the, the Greek-speaking world, and they're wondering, uh, is Jesus going to go and teach those guys? Is that is that what he means here when he says where he goes we cannot follow? Like, what, what, is, what exactly does he mean? They're not bad questions, but the time for answers hasn't come. And to a certain extent, Jesus kind of leaves them hanging. He's giving them this teaching that, again, if you have faith, you can kind of track along with him, but if you're not believing, it's tough to understand. So we jump forward a couple of days. It says, In the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Sounds familiar, right? Bread of life, living water, these are ideas that we've heard before in John's Gospel. Verse 39, by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. After Jesus' death and resurrection, that is the glorification of Christ, okay, proving that he is who he said that he was, the fact that he defeated death, death could not hold him down. He comes back, and as a result, he goes up into heaven, but promises his followers, those who believe in him, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's what John's talking about here. So the first bit is Jesus' words, what he said there on the day. The second part is John explaining this is what he meant in this particular context. He's talked about living water, bread of life stuff before, but here he wants us to be clear. When he talks about living waters, he means the Spirit of God that's going to flow forth in us that we have experienced now after Jesus' death and resurrection. So Jesus, again, very consistent with his messaging. But again, we see a mixed response from the people. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Messiah. Still others asked, How can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not Scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Now, just... Just grab this with me for a second, because this is important. We're going to come back to it, okay? Earlier in the passage, we heard people wrestling with the idea of, is Jesus the Messiah? And they read the scriptures, based on their knowledge of the scriptures, and they say, but how can he be the Messiah? Doesn't the Bible say that we're not going to know where the Messiah comes from? These guys are listening now to Jesus' claims and, and who he, how he's talking. Some people think he's the Messiah, but others go again to the Bible and say, well, doesn't the scripture say the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem? Now, this is interesting because we know that Jesus actually does indeed meet both of these criteria, but the people don't know that about Jesus at the time and aren't sure what to make of it. And also it was a little bit obscured. Jesus was living in Galilee, but he was actually born in Bethlehem. You know, who knows how much they knew at the time. But the important point is, they're weighing Jesus' words against the scripture, which is good, but they're still not getting to faith in Jesus, which is interesting. We'll come back to that. Thus, the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Again, not sure if Parkour was involved, but they can't touch him. His time has not yet arrived. He continues to teach. The temple guards, who we met earlier, well, finally they go back to the chief priests and the Pharisees. And the chief priests and the Pharisees are like, what, what are you guys doing? Why, why didn't you bring Jesus in with you? Like, that's what we sent you there for. 
They say no one ever spoke the way this man does. Those that went to arrest him have heard him and been like, I'm not sure. Remember, they don't work for the Pharisees and the chief priests. They had some autonomy here. And upon hearing him, they're like, eh, don't feel great about arresting this guy. And the Pharisees lose it. You mean he's deceived you also? The Pharisees retorted. Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him, the religious experts? Huh? No. But this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. That know nothing of the law? What have we just seen the crowd doing? The crowd has been hearing Jesus and going to the scriptures to try and figure out if he can be the Messiah based on what the Old Testament scriptures are saying and the Pharisees puffing themselves up as the experts, the leaders, the rulers, has any of us endorsed this guy? Curse on these people who don't know the law. Hold on. Again, this is, and what, what's interesting is that they too are, are making this assessment based off of the law. And we get to this through the experience of somebody who we've, we've seen before, a guy Nicodemus. All right, so some of you remember earlier, chapter 3, Nicodemus is a Pharisee, but one who was intrigued by Jesus. And he'd gone back in chapter 3 to see Jesus, and it says here that he said to him from verse 2, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. Nicodemus is on the right track. He's a Pharisee, yes, a religious leader, yes, but unlike his fellow Pharisees, he's looking at what Jesus is doing, he's seeing the signs and the miracles, and he's saying, God must be with this person. And so he's not comfortable with the rest of the Pharisees just rejecting Jesus outright because he's looking at what Jesus is doing and he's saying, hold on a second guys, maybe we should take another look at this. And so he says to them, does our law condemn man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? Pharisees rejecting him outright, declaring they are the ones who know the law. They are the experts. They are the ones who need to be endorsing this. One of their own number says, oh, maybe we should just, just slow down, weigh this up a little bit more carefully. And they make it personal. Are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. They're appealing to the law again, Right? They're, they're, they're appealing to the scriptures to say, hey, have, have you not looked it up? Did you not do the reading? All right? If you did, then you'd know this can't be it. This guy, doesn't matter what he's doing, he's not the one. Now, the funny thing is that Nicodemus did more than the reading. He, he knew the law. He, just, he went straight to the source as well. And that's changed the way that he's viewing this whole situation. And so there's two... I think big takeaways, again, and, and one of them is going to sound awfully familiar, but that's okay because it's meant to, and then we've got a second as well. So, they are this. First up, it's believe in Jesus, and then we'll think about a little bit more about it means to see Jesus in the scriptures. So, believe in Jesus should sound like a super common and known refrain in John's Gospel at this point. If you're like, haven't you said this every week? Yes, yes I have. Because this is John's point. 
again and again, he wants to make it clear to us that Jesus is the Son of God in whom we are to believe, and in doing so we have eternal life. He says it at the very end of his Gospel. John chapter 20, verse 30, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John's gospel is the good news to help people understand and know who Jesus is to believe in him so they can have eternal life. And if you're watching online, if you're visiting here with us this morning, and you're checking out this Jesus thing, this is God's call to you. Believe in Jesus to receive the gift of eternal life. Jesus' super consistent message has been through here that those who don't believe in him are lacking. They're hungry. They're thirsty. His promise here in this passage is again, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. You don't need to know another single day of the hunger and thirst in your soul, that longing for salvation, for meaning, for purpose, for forgiveness, that sense of true self, that longing to know who you are and what you've been called to and who the creator of this world is. You don't need to go another day with that hunger and thirst. Believe in Jesus, receive the gift of life, and you will never hunger and thirst again. That is the promise of the gospel to you. And if you're hearing that stirring in your hearts, don't ignore that call. Don't ignore that gift that God is giving you to believe and trust in Him. So point one, again and again, believe in Jesus. But the second one, for those who are already following Jesus, I think that this passage has you know, a warning for us. As we read the scriptures, we always want to look at who people are in the story, and see if we can see some similarities between their situation and ours. Now, it's not normally a one-to-one comparison, but there's enough similarities there that we can sort of put ourselves in the shoes of those people who are there and learn from the mistakes that they make. And in this particular passage, we've got a couple of different groups of people who are in God's place in the temple, who are leaders amongst God's people, who know the Bible, who care about what it says. And I don't know about you, but if somebody said about our church that this is a group of people who meet together in God's place and care about what the Bible says and want to know God, I'd say, yeah, I'm pretty happy with that description of us. But what's interesting is is that these guys, despite all those things, most of them, or a lot of them, don't land on faith in Jesus despite the fact that they're looking at the Bible. So again, we've got the, the Jerusalemites, all right, those guys who live in Jerusalem, locals, right there, near the temple of God. They hear the claims for Jesus to be the Messiah, and they read the Bible to figure out if they think this is true. Doesn't the Bible say that we won't know where he's going to be from? A little bit later on. Same people ask, does not Scripture say the Messiah will become from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived, more locals turning to the Bible, trying to figure this one out. And again, we see the experts in the law, the Pharisees, the you from Galilee too, look into it, read the law, and you'll find that a prophet doesn't come out from Galilee. See, what is going on here is that 
it's entirely possible for us to read the scriptures, but if we're not approaching them through faith in Christ and with a belief and trust in him and what he's done and that he is the Messiah, we can miss the fact that the scriptures are all about him first. Now, the scriptures have got all sorts of advice and wisdom and uh, everything that we need for life in this world, but we need to read them first through Christ to understand those things well. I remember as a young Christian, somebody told me that, um, you know, a cute little acronym for the Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth. It's cute, but it's not sufficient. The Bible does have instructions for us, but unless we read it through Christ first, unless you can come up with an acronym of B-I-B-L-E, where it says, believe in Jesus, that acronym's not going to work. Have fun with that later. Jesus himself said this back in John chapter 5. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I'm doing, testify the Father has sent me. Pointing to the miracles, right? And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form. Miracles point towards me, being the one from, sent from God. God himself has sent me. God testifies about me. You've never heard his voice or seen his form, though. Nor does his word dwell in you. Why? Pick it up here. Why does the word of God not dwell in these guys who are following Jesus? It's because you do not believe the one he sent. They're reading the Bible, but Jesus is saying to them, you don't know God, you haven't heard his voice, you haven't seen his form, because you're not believing in the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. You value the Bible. You value the scriptures. That's good, right? These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. The mistake that the Pharisees and the locals there in Jerusalem made was to look at the scriptures and read them but ignore what Jesus was doing to show them that I am the one that the scriptures testify about. That they needed to not look at the scriptures as the, the starting point, the Pharisees, have you not looked at the law? That the prophet will not come from Galilee. But rather, what they were meant to do was see what Jesus was doing. Look at the signs that were pointing to who he was, and then go back and figure out how the scriptures make sense of this. Because it all fits together. Jesus indeed was born in Bethlehem. He absolutely was the descendant from David. A prophet can come from Galilee if they're born in Bethlehem. It all fits, but only when you have that starting point of faith in Jesus and going to him first. I love this quote. Uh, this is from famous uh, Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon. He's a Baptist, but we don't hold that against him. Uh, jokes. He told this story to help focus on preachers, to help preachers focus on preaching Jesus from the Bible at all times, but it, the, the same thing works for us as believers reading it. He says, you remember the story of the old minister who heard a sermon by a young man and when he was asked by the preacher what he thought of it, he was rather slow to answer. But at last he said, I must tell you, I did not like it at all. There was no Christ in your sermon. No, answered the young man, because I did not see that Christ was in the text. Oh, said the old minister. But do you not know that from every little town and village and tiny hamlet in England there is a road leading to London? 
Whenever I get a hold of a text, I say to myself, there is a road from here to Jesus Christ, and I mean to keep on his track until I get to him. Well, said the young man, but suppose you are preaching from a text that says nothing about Christ. Then I will go over hedge and ditch, but what I will get at him. See, Jesus kept on quoting these scriptures, okay, that weren't immediately, obviously, about him. Talking about the manner in the wilderness with the with, with the, the the feeding of the people there and all that sort of stuff. Nobody had sort of linked that stuff to the Messiah. Nobody had joined that up to the prophet that Moses talked about later, and certainly nobody had made the connection to the fact that that was going to be the same Messiah that was promised to David's family. But once Jesus had come, once you have faith in him, then you start to understand how all these things point towards him. And so I think there's an encouragement in these verses to us as believers now, concerned with God, God's people, who love the Bible, to not make the mistake of reading the scriptures without seeing it through our faith in Jesus. To know and believe and trust in him. To attack the scriptures with vigor. To know that I will get to Christ. I will understand how this points towards him. Now, after we've done that, we go back and we think about there's moral lessons, there's wisdom, there's all sorts of stuff for us. I'm not saying the application of every Bible reading is, isn't Jesus great? But what I'm saying is, after every Bible reading, you should probably get to Jesus is great and then think about what that means for this passage and how it's teaching us to live in light of those who've received the gospel. So let me encourage you this week, as you go forth and you read the scriptures, as you pray and you talk to God, as especially when you read the Old Testament, but really in all of scripture, read it to know Jesus better. Because we don't just want to be Christians who know the Bible. The the Pharisees knew the Bible. They knew the Old Testament. The Jerusalemites, they knew the Old Testament. What didn't they know? They didn't know Jesus. So let's read the Bible this week. Not to know the Bible, but to know Jesus. Or better yet to say, let's know the Bible so that we may know Jesus all the more, in all his glory, understanding what he's done, understanding who he is, understanding the love that he has for us, understanding what it means for his spirit to be living and flowing in us again and again and again. And see your quiet time come to life.